Happy Monday, relatable listeners. I hope everyone had a great weekend. I am pumped about what we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about Beto, a.k.a. Robert Francis O'Rourke, and him running for president of the United States. Now, you might be asking, oh, wait, Allie, didn't you say last week that we were going to talk about Christian stuff, theological stuff, ministry-minded stuff on Mondays? So I could actually enjoy my Monday and not get so riled up about the state of our politics. And you are correct about that. I am going to. This is actually a theological Christian uh, church topic, but I am using Beto as the jumping off point, as the kind of impetus for this conversation. And you're just going to have to track with me and you're just going to have to trust me that it all just fits together. So we're going to talk about the woke white women who are likely to support Beto O'Rourke and support whatever Democrat runs against Donald Trump and the trend of white women kind of leaning in this direction. Now, this is a little bit similar to what we talked about on Friday, a little bit. I know you've heard the word woke a lot uh, over the past two episodes that I've done, uh, but this is really the social justice wave that is taking over the church. And I'm going to talk about how I think that it will manifest itself in the upcoming election and why I believe from a biblical perspective that is problematic and why we as Christians need to be on the lookout for it. So I still haven't decided what I'm going to call uh, these days. Theological Mondays doesn't really sound that good. You guys had a lot of suggestions for Wednesdays being theology days, but that's not going to happen anymore. It's going to be Mondays. Ministry Mondays, eh, kind of, maybe, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Anyway, whatever it is, we're going to have fun and you're going to feel hopefully good and equipped and inspired and great going into your Monday today. So Democrats, this is the premise of this conversation. Democrats are coming for the Christian white women. They're coming for you. They are looking to get your vote. And unfortunately, it might actually work. Now, not the people listening to this podcast, not you well-educated, conservative, Christian, theologically savvy women out there, but for some Christian white women living in suburbia, this probably will work. So let's back up. Uh, last week, uh, Robert O'Rourke, which, as you know, is his real name, Beto is his nickname, announced his candidacy for president of the United States. Uh, Beto, I am going to call him Beto. That makes some people mad, but that's what he goes by. That's what people recognize him as. So whatever. It's a losing battle to call him anything else. Uh, Beto was a representative from El Paso, Texas. Uh, he ran for Senate against Ted Cruz. He lost, barely lost, but he did lose. And then there were rumors for a long time about him running for president. The reason is because he had national appeal. People really liked him. He was on Ellen. He had all of these viral videos about him, you know, playing air guitar in the car. And so it was like, oh, is this the white Barack Obama? Is this kind of like the modern JFK? He's cool. He's young. He's hip. He's weirdly kind of attractive. Some people say, even though he's not, this is our this is the future. This is our next Democratic leader. While well, he lost against Ted Cruz, and so that didn't really pan out, but he probably got a little taste of the fame and the notoriety that he gained 
for uh, running for Senate against Ted Cruz that he decided, you know what, I got to keep this going, bro. I got to keep it going. Now, a lot of people on the right, after he announced his presidency, he had this huge story in Vanity Fair where he was glorified as this awesome down-to-earth guy who, by the way, is also worth $9 million because he inherited most of that money and his wife is a billionaire. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, by the way, from my perspective. But for the Democratic perspective, that's typically problematic. But apparently, apparently when it's better O'Rourke, it doesn't really matter. So we had this huge spread in Vanity Fair talking about just like how relatable he is. Uh, and Republicans are looking at that, some of them, and writing him off immediately. They're like, OK, you lost a Senate race. Why does that qualify you to run for president of the United States? A lot of Republicans are also bringing up the fact that this guy had a DUI where he actually fled the scene, uh, wrecking his car when he was 26. Just a reminder, like I was just 26 like a month ago. 26, yes, of course, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone does. And there is grace for those mistakes. But 26 is not 21. Like there's a little bit of a difference in that. So but Republicans are bringing up that this should probably disqualify him. Um, and like I said, he lost to Ted Cruz, a guy that a lot of people consider unlikable. And he lost during a blue wave. He lost even though he had national appeal, like I said, and he had a lot of celebrities backing him. He raised a ton of money. He worked really hard and he still lost against what people consider an unlikable Ted Cruz. So they're saying there's no way there's no way he's going. He, there's no way he's going to win. Uh, if he couldn't win that, then, of course, he can't win the presidency which may be true. I am not betting that Beto will win necessarily. I, I don't know that. I don't like have this feeling that he is going to take the pre presidency. But I do think I do think that he is someone that we should watch out for. And I do think that he might be a force to be reckoned with. We know that he's going to work hard. Uh, we know that a lot of celebrities were behind him, but I think it's actually a little bit deeper than that. So there are a few things to consider when it comes to Beto O'Rourke, and I promise you this is going to work into a theological and just state of the church conversation. But first, let us consider some things about Beto O'Rourke running for president. Uh, let's remember that Ted Cruz barely won. He barely won in the state of Texas, uh, the state that a lot of people used to think was a Republican stronghold. Uh, he won 50.9% to Beto's 48%, so really close. If you look at a, a map of Texas, a voting map of Texas after the midterm elections, Beto won almost all border towns, mostly Hispanic communities. He won the big city, so he won Houston, he won Dallas, he won Fort Worth, he won San Antonio, he won Austin. A cruise won the more rural areas, so the less densely populated areas. If you look at the map of Texas, it looks like Cruz absolutely dominated because it's mostly red. It's kind of like the electoral map or the voting map after Donald Trump won. It looks like Trump totally dominated. We know that was actually a close race. He didn't totally dominate, and Hillary Clinton still won the popular vote. It kind of looks like that when you look at it, a map of Texas after the midterm elections. It looks like Cruz dominated, but it's really just because he got a lot of those rural areas that just don't have as many people in it. Um, so this means, though, that because because Beto got so close to Ted Cruz, this means that he is popular. He might not have been popular enough to win, but he is popular. Uh, maybe he couldn't have won Texas at this time, but we know because he has national appeal, he should be taken seriously. And here's here's another thing that we need to consider. 
Um, because he was pretty well liked in Texas, again, not by everyone, not by enough people, but because he was really well liked in Texas, he is someone that the Democrats might be willing to get behind and rally around because they are setting their sights on Texas in 2020. Uh, there was a time when California was a red state, when we could rely on California to vote for the Republican candidates. Uh, there was a time when Colorado was solidly red. There has been a strategy behind Democrats turning Colorado and California, for example, blue. And they're doing the same thing to Texas. They are intentionally uh, staking out ground, looking at Texas, setting their sights on Texas and saying, if we they they know this, if we turn you blue, if we turn you purple, then it'll be done. It'll be over. Uh, they've won. Uh, we like to think that that would never happen in Texas, but we never thought that would happen in Colorado. And it did. Now, the idea of Colorado voting red is absolutely laughable. If you think Democrats don't know that and don't know that they have an opportunity there, especially in 2020, then you're crazy. Of course they want Texas. And if you've got a candidate from Texas who did pretty well in his last election, in a major election against Ted Cruz, he did pretty well, better than some people uh, would have thought, then maybe, maybe he'll still have that appeal and more appeal if he runs for president. Um, and this is another thing that they are considering particularly with Beto's appeal to Texas, they think that he might be able to attract the young voters, which we already know the majority of young people in Texas voted for him. But they also think that he is going to be attract uh, be attractive to women and particularly white women. And that is the demographic that Democrats had a hard time with in the 2016 election. Fifty three percent of white women voted for Donald Trump. The majority of white women in the midterm elections uh, voted for Ted Cruz. And yet it is the most vulnerable demographic. If you look at uh, white men versus white women, it's the most vulnerable demographic that could flip over to the left. And I think that they would look at someone like Beto O'Rourke and say, you've got the appeal to the suburban white mom that Democrats simply haven't been able to conquer yet. Uh, like I said, uh, the majority of white women did vote for Ted Cruz in 2018, but the majority of women, so women of all races, women of all ages, the majority of women did vote for Beto. Also, the younger that you are in Texas, the more likely you were to vote for Beto. 71% of the millennial vote, a 51% of the vote for ages 30 through 44. So the older you were, the more likely you were to vote for Ted Cruz. Uh, this is really true of almost all Democrats who ran Young people, women just tend to lean more to the left. But let's look at that female one more closely. So he won 94% of the black female vote in Texas, 66% of the Latina female vote. Uh, where he did not win, as we've already established, is with white women, a 60%. So not a huge percentage, but 60% of white women did vote for Ted Cruz. And like I said, that makes this group extremely vulnerable because the vast majority of white men voted for Ted Cruz. So I guarantee you, Democrats are looking at Texas and they're looking at white women and they see someone like Beto O'Rourke and they see someone who can appeal to them. If they can get the white woman vote, if they can get the suburban mom vote and if they can get the Texas vote, then they've won and they've won for a long time. And I think I think that Beto O'Rourke is someone who they think can do that. And someone who, 
quite frankly, I think can do that as well. Uh, Ever since it came out that 53% of white women voted for Trump in 2016, we have heard nonstop from the feminists, from the Women's March, from the people on the left, that white women are traitors, that we are uh, hoisting up the patriarchy, that the only reason we voted for Donald Trump was because our husbands told us to, that in order to be true allies to people of color, to um, vulnerable communities, that we can't vote Republican in order to really care about women, in order to uh, really care about the immigrant, to really be compassionate. We have been told ever since then that you have to vote Democrat. Uh, It is betrayal to other women and to people of color we hear to vote for Donald Trump or really for any Republican. Why? Well, no one really knows. They don't ever have to say why we're betraying or who we're betraying or when we signed up for this group that we pledged loyalty to. But apparently that's just true. You are not a good person and you are not compassionate and you don't really care about people if you vote for Republicans because Republicans are the patriarchy or something like that. And the only reason you're voting for them is because you just listen to your husband. And unfortunately, I think that's worked a little bit. I think that you do have women who say, whoa, 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 I'm my own person. So you're telling me that by voting for Republicans, I'm just following my husband. No, 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 that's not that's not going to be me. Um, here's here's another statistic. Only a slight majority of suburbanites voted for Cruz. Suburbanites used to be typically more Republican, at least in this area, but that is no longer true. I live in a suburb of Texas, and so I know that this doesn't necessarily speak to all suburbs of Texas, but the suburb that I lived in, which used to be solidly red, by the way, we just voted for, I didn't, but the majority of my district who used to be solidly red did vote for uh, a terrible, terrible Democratic state representative. And there are a lot of people in our district who uh, who had Beto signs in their yard. And I hardly saw any Ted Cruz signs. And like I said, I live in a pretty conservative district in Texas, in the suburbs of Texas. But a slight majority of suburbanites voted for Cruz. So like I said, the problem that Democrats have in Texas and nationally is white people in suburban and rural areas. And the most vulnerable group within that to flipping is white women. And I think, I think the group that they really want, because a lot of white women in Texas happen to be a part of this group, I think the group that they really want is white Christian women. They want white Christian women who can be convinced by this argument that in order to, in order to really care about the least of these, in order to really care about the vulnerable, in order to really uh, live out God's calling to care for the poor, then you can't vote for a Republican. They're greedy. They want to take people's health care away. They want to put kids in cages at the border. If you really are compassionate and soft-hearted and sympathetic, which you should be, you Christian woman, then you'll vote Democrat. And someone like Beto O'Rourke is really good at spinning that. He's a really good messenger for that because he's unintimidating. He's unassuming. He's kind of like that nerdy, goofy guy that maybe some of these women were friends with in high school, but they secretly had a crush on. Like he's not some kind of like quarterback hot guy that women are like all excited over, but he's got some kind of quality that I think Christian, not Christian conservative, but Christian, a suburban women would be attracted to. Uh, Another problem that we know that Democrats have is with Christians. The majority of Christians voted for Trump. The majority of Christians in Texas voted for Cruz. But again, 
the most vulnerable group within that problematic group for Democrats is white women. They are most likely of the groups within evangelicalism to vote for a Democratic candidate. And here's something else that I have noticed, particularly over the past couple of years, particularly in the last few months, especially since the Kavanaugh stuff, especially since the stuff that's been going on in the border. Uh, I notice, one, that a lot of Christian suburban moms follow Christian influencers who have been increasingly outspoken about progressivism. They haven't come out and said, I'm a Democrat. They haven't said, I'm a liberal, but their underlying messages are progressive. They are in line with identity politics. So you've got Rachel Hollis, whom we now know has a big opinions about white male privilege and apparently a gender fluidity. We've got Jen Hatmaker, who had Beto O'Rourke on her show. We have Ann Voskamp. We have Beth Moore, who have been very outspoken against Donald Trump. You have other uh, even white male evangelical leaders who have jumped on the side of identity politics, of racial reparations, advocating for social justice um, and essentially open borders. You have parts of the otherwise a conservative evangelical Baptist non-denominational movement, a large part of that in Texas, shifting to the left on these social issues and becoming quieter about things like abortion. Now, I'm not saying that all of these people that have shifted to the left are fundamentally wrong in every single thing that they believe. I'm also not saying that Christians don't have legitimate concerns and questions and criticisms about Donald Trump. I have voiced many of those concerns, questions and criticisms from a Christian perspective about Donald Trump. I am also not saying in order to be a good Christian, you have to be a Republican because we know that God transcends our politics. He is bigger than Republican or Democrat. I am not saying any of that. I'm just telling you that the shift that we're seeing and the kind of warming up of the young evangelical uh, community, especially among white women, to Democrats is coming from this place, this subtle messaging from Christian leaders that say that social justice is what we should be striving towards, that systemic racism is uh, worse than it's ever been. And if we're not talking about forced diversity, then we don't really we don't really love people. If you're not really if you don't believe in big government policies, if you don't believe in forced tolerance that is fed to us by progressivism, then you must not really be a Christian. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, how do these Christian influencers justify supporting Democrats who uh, who are advocates of abortion? Do they not care about babies inside the womb? Well, honestly, abortion in this section of the social justice evangelical world has taken a backseat and even in some cases taken a backseat to what you would call women's rights. There was a ridiculous thread by some Democratic representative, I think from Oklahoma the other day, talking about how God's will is that we allow women to choose to have abortions and that that's actually biblical. Now, she said a bunch of stuff that literally did not make sense. It was like logic was like her third or fourth language. It would be like her, the thread didn't make sense. But it just shows you the justifications that some, and this was a white woman, some uh Christian women and Christian people are making to latch on to this progressivism that is in the church. Uh, Here's the problem, though, with Christians latching on to seemingly innocuous social justice, which we talked about on Friday. Um, But the problem with it, they, they will tell you social justice is just taking care of the poor. Social justice is just taking care of the widow. Social justice is just believing in equality and justice. No, it's not. No, it's not. 
Uh, Social justice is a secular movement that encompasses things that are not biblical. You care about justice. You care about the poor. You believe in biblical justice, which is the only real justice that exists. Social justice is not justice. So we, as uh, believers, don't need to latch on to something that is secular. You know, social justice also includes the redefining of gender. You know, social justice also includes the redefining of godly sexuality. You know, social justice uh, also includes the the advocating for abortion in the name of women's rights. You know, social justice, defined by the world, by the way, includes all of these things that Christians aren't supposed to be a, a part of. You want to be a part of justice? Enact biblical justice. Take care of the least of these on your own. Uh, don't advocate for the government to do it. A lot of these young Christians have bought into the lie that in order to be truly godly and compassionate, you have to believe in the almost entire progressive agenda. You have to believe in open borders. You have to believe in socialism or at least some form of big government, the welfare state. That's what taking care of the poor means, they say. Uh, You have to believe in uh, fighting against gun violence. The word gun violence doesn't even make any sense, but fighting against gun violence. They believe in what Thomas Sowell would call cosmic justice. That's what social justice actually is. This strange equation based on the color of your skin, your sexual orientation, your gender. That's how we figure out what is right and what is wrong. You saw this with Kavanaugh, for example. Even though we didn't have any true evidence against him, even though there was no substantiated evidence against him, uh, we talked a lot. You heard a lot about white male privilege. You heard a lot about believing women because they're women. That is cosmic justice. That's not actual justice. Actual justice is looking at truth, looking at facts, looking at evidence, and, and making and making a judgment from there the best that you can. But we were supposed to believe Dr. Ford simply because she was a woman, simply because she said so. And you had Christian leaders coming out and saying, yes, I believe her. Why? That is cosmic justice. You saw the same thing with Jesse Smollett. You saw Rachel Hollis. She had an Instagram post saying, wow, I saw this today. And this just, I had to have a conversation with my son about white male privilege. You didn't even know the facts. That is cosmic justice. That's not real justice because it's not based on truth. We saw this with the whole Covington thing uh, with because these were white kids wearing red hats and you had a Native American in front of him that they were wrong because they were white kids wearing red hats. That is cosmic justice that is based on superficial weird, abstract, um, abstract qualifications, definitions of justice that Christians are not called to. And yet we see Christians buying into it. Why? Because it's easy, because it feels good, because it sounds like we're caring for the least of these, but we're not. Social justice and socialism, as I've said many times, is a way for people to feel virtuous without ever having to get off the couch. And guess what? It's a Christless gospel. As Daryl and I talked about on Friday, the role of Christians in fighting against injustice. Yes, of course, you advocate for legis- like pro-life legislation, for example, but the the important thing for us to do, the most important thing for us to do is to preach the gospel. But you've got a lot of social justice Christians who believe that the gospel is secondary, that our first role is to talk about um, that, that our first role is to talk about racism, that our first role is to talk about uh, these perceived injustices that are going on in the world. That's not true. Our 
first job is to say Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And in so doing, probably uh, offend a lot of social justice warriors. But you've got too many Christians that are not willing to do that anymore because they want to latch on to this social justice movement and feel good about themselves. And Democrats know that. And they've done a good job of that. And their target is Christian white women who are most susceptible to that. And Beto O'Rourke is a great messenger, a great mascot for that. And I was talking about this on Twitter uh, the other day. And I was saying, you know, I really see Beto appealing to these suburban white Christian women who uh, are in Texas just because of the trend that I've seen and the feeling that I get from these Christian influencers that I know a lot of people follow and the movement towards wokeness within the church, especially among this demographic. And then I found this New York Times article that was written in October of last year that I had actually never read that literally was saying all of the things that I was saying. Before I even get to that, let me let me tell you something, because then the New York Times article is going to literally support exactly what I said before I even read it. So the the way that Democrats, the way that the left is posing this to to white evangelical women, the way that they are making this sound okay, so that white women don't say, well, I'm not going to vote for Democrats because they're pro-abortion, the way that they are kind of obfuscating that issue and pushing that issue down is they are expanding the definition of pro-life. So they're saying, sure, Democrats might believe in abortion. That's just one issue. Are you really pro-life if you're not talking about diversity? Are you really pro-life if you're not intersectional? Are you really pro-life if you don't believe in open borders? Are you really pro-life if you don't believe in white privilege? Are you really pro-life if you don't believe in redistributing wealth to the poor? Are you really pro-life if you're not against gun violence? That's what they're saying. And, and you got a lot of white women saying, well, I guess that's true. Yeah, I am pro-life. I am pro-life. And so abortion is just one of the many ways I can be pro-life. And I'm not going to vote for Republicans just on that one issue. I mean, that is a low information voter right there. That's a low educated voter right there. That is an entirely emotionally based argument. You don't know anything about abortion. You don't know anything about gun statistics. You don't know anything about what's going on at the border. You don't know anything about real race issues and white privilege. It just sounds good. And you don't want to be seen as a bigot. You want to be seen as a good person. You want to be seen as a compassionate, sympathetic woman. So you say, okay, well, I can I can look past the abortion thing. And um, I can look past the abortion thing. And I'll be pro-life in these other ways. And, and that's fine. Life is about choices. Politics is about choices. That's fine. Low information, let me tell you. Low education. And our job as conservatives is really difficult in the face of that because that argument is a completely emotional argument, whereas the argument we have has to do with facts. And people don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear the real statistics on uh, on guns. People don't want to hear the real truth about socialism, the real truth about white privilege and all of these crazy things on the left. They they just want to they just want to feel good about themselves without ever having to get off the couch, like I've already said. And so our job is really hard to push back against that because we actually have to get people to listen to us rather than feel and read things and research things. And as we know, that's the bane of most young people's existence. So this New York Times article that I found after I was making all of these conclusions on Twitter and I was talking about abortion, blah, blah, blah. I was actually messaging a, a Fox host who was asking me to uh, expound on the tweet that I uh, that I had uh, posted. And I was telling her 
It's like, yeah, I've, I've seen this movement among young women because of these influencers and the expansion of the definition of pro-life. And then I found this New York Times article and here's a quote. Um, th- so they interviewed people in Dallas, actually women in Dallas who are all in their 30s, suburban moms who are Christians. And here is here's a quote from the article. The women who are all in their 30s described Mr. O'Rourke, this, so this is uh, before the midterm elections, as providing a stark moral contrast to Mr. Trump, whose policies and behavior they see as fundamentally anti-Christian, especially separating immigrant children from their parents at the border, banning many Muslim refugees and disrespecting women. So I knew, I knew this. I felt this. And then you have these women actually coming out and saying, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And here's a quote from one of the women that they interviewed. I care as much about babies at the border as I do about babies in the womb. Uh, said Tess Clark, one of Miss Mooney's friends, I guess that's another person, confessing that she was mortified at how she used to vote. So she used to vote Republican, how she used to vote because she had only considered abortion policy. Now we've been as- or we've been asleep. Now we've woke up. OK, first of all, woke up is not grammatically correct unless you're trying to make a pun that you're woke. Now we've woke up. Miss Mooney and her friends may represent an under-the-radar web of white evangelical women in Texas whose vote in November may be more up for grabs than at any time in the recent past. They are angry with many of Mr. Trump's policies and frustrated because they feel their faith has been weaponized to support his agenda. Sarah uh, Demoff, I don't know how you say that, uh, who is a court-appointed special advocate for children, voted a straight Republican ticket after Kermit Gosnell, a Pennsylvania physician, uh, was indicted in 2011 for murdering babies born alive in, in botch abortions. Uh, but she was moved watching Mr. O'Rourke sit with migrant women separated from their children and reflected on her own vulnerability growing up with a single mother who was blind. It goes on to say, Mr. O'Rourke is doing strategic, if limited, outreach to white evangelicals, especially women. So all, this article existed. And I didn't even know. I think a lot of us probably had this feeling Without knowing the, you know, the 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 concrete evidence behind it. You just kind of felt this way. And I read this article and I was like, yes, this is actually happening. I mean, listen to this. Listen to this. They are ashamed of how they used to vote because she had only considered abortion policy. We've been asleep. Now we've woken up. I changed her grammatical error there because I cannot say we've woke up one more time. It just makes me want to crawl out of my skin. Um, these are women who have been made to feel guilty by progressives and their feminist friends for not being truly woke enough, for not being truly sympathetic enough. This idea of kids being separated from their parents at the border isn't even fully accurate. And the evangelical community just jumped on it as if they had all of the facts. That's not even true. You know that most of these kids are actually coming from human traffickers. They're actually being smuggled. I saw a video from San Diego just the other day where two kids, a six and a nine-year-old, were dropped over the border, dropped over the border fencing that exists uh, right there at the border in San Diego. And the smuggler, I don't even know where he went. The kids were dropped over the border. Um, What? Like, we're going to talk, we're going to say that that is separating children from their parents. The, the only way, the only way to make sure that kids are safe and that they're taken care of 
is to make sure that they are put in these facilities where they are actually protected from the human traffickers and the danger that's going on in the board at the border when illegal immigrants show up with them. And you have to you have to do something with the pairs. But what Democrats want is and what evangelicals apparently who support this one is for us to just let them all in. No questions asked. Uh, look, I, I don't like children being separated from their parents either. I don't. I, and if there's any way that we can keep them together, if there's any way that we can keep them together, then I think that's great. But let us remember that this was happening under Barack Obama, that the whole kids in cages thing, which they're not cages, they are enclosures, which is a lot safer and better than what they probably had before. Um, that whole thing happened under Barack Obama. The family separation happened under Barack Obama. And there's actually a reason that they are being separated. It's not necessarily just this cruel tactic. Now, uh, Jeff Sessions did say, which this I do agree with, did say that the separation of families was an incentive uh, for families not to come and cross the border. I don't like that. I do think that's draconian. I do think that's wrong. But if there is actually a, a safety reason for these kids of why they're being separated from their parents, who, by the way, a lot of times aren't really their parents, um, then I think that we should we should listen to that and we should give ear to that. But instead, you have a bunch of women, especially latching on to this issue emotionally and saying, well, this is what it really means to be pro-life. Are you serious? Are you serious? This is what it means to be pro-life. So are you down with the legislation that went through Virginia? Are you down with the legislation that was passed in New York, in New Mexico? Are, are you okay with that? The Born Alive Survivors Protection Act, you're okay with being a part of that party that, that voted against that? That's okay with not just sucking the brains out of children as they are being born. That's what a, a full-term abortion is, but also laying them laying them there to die on an operating table without doing anything to save their life. You're telling me it's okay to be fine with that, but you're more pro-life because you kind of advocate for women and children at the border without even really knowing anything. What? You're ashamed that you used to vote based on abortion. What bigger, more gospel-centered political issue is there than fighting for unborn babies and babies who were just born? I'm not saying that that's mutually exclusive, that you can't care about what's going on on the border and you can't uh, and care about children that are inside the womb. Of course, of course you can care for both and there's a way to care for both, but it's important that we also know the truth. It's important that we also know real policies. And yes, at the end of the day, I do believe abortion is a bigger issue. Yes, of course I do. We're talking about murder. You're talking about maybe you don't like the quality of care that they're given, which I'm totally on board with you. They're human beings. They're made in the image of God. The children and the people at the border, they should be treated with dignity and respect as much as we can. But that versus the brutal murder of unborn children, you're telling me that's not enough of an issue for you? Not to mention that that's not the only reason why you would vote Republican as a Christian. You also shouldn't believe in the redistribution of wealth, the forced re redistribution of wealth. That's theft. That's covetousness. You shouldn't believe in socialism as a Christian. It is not biblical when you look at the suffering that socialism has caused. You shouldn't believe in identity politics. You shouldn't believe in intersectionality. All of that is anti-gospel of how we're supposed to look at people, not by the color of their skin, not by their perceived oppression, not by their victimology, but uh, by the th who God made them to be, which is a human being made in God's image. Um, there are many reasons 
to be conservative as a Christian, there are very few, very few reasons to be a progressive. Now, I'm not saying that these people who are progressive and Christians are not saved. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. Um, But I'm saying if you are politically knowledgeable and if you are theologically knowledgeable, then it's really hard to justify being a progressive. Now, I'm not saying that you have to believe in every single part of the Republican platform. I've already said, get out of here with the party labels. I'm not saying that that's what it takes to be a good Christian, to be a Democrat or a Republican. But if you're looking at politics and if you're looking at issues from the lens of the gospel, from the lens of the Bible, then socially and politically, you're probably going to tend to be more conservative. That's just the case. There's something to miss there. If you really think the progressive platform, the current progressive platform aligns more with the Bible. I I would just need to have a conversation with you about the confusion there. And one of the big confusions that we see is this idea of social justice, how social justice is justice when, as we've already covered, it is not. And the most vulnerable group to believing this is white evangelical suburban women, which y'all is why I have this podcast. That's exactly why we talk about the things that we do. We uncover the subtle lies, the me first Christianity that really has a lot to do with this subject, honestly, uh, because it's all tied together with the Marxism and the social justice that we're seeing within Christianity. This me first, you do you Christianity, this hipster Jesus Christianity, this self-love, self-care, self-focus Christianity. It all has to do with it because it's Christless. And so you remove Christ from the center of it. You put yourself in the center of it. Government also becomes God. And there you go. There you have our entire problem. It is all connected. So the reason we talk about woke social justice Christianity, the reason we talk about the you are enough Christianity is because it all goes together into believing and spinning this web of lies that I personally think women are most vulnerable to. That is why I have this podcast. And let me say for the millionth time, I am not equating being conservative with being saved at all in the slightest. That would be blasphemy. I am not saying that, but I am saying that we need to have a right view of the Bible, a right view of God, and that the right view of the Bible and the right view of God will help us decide uh, what to believe that is correct politically and socially. Not always. We're imperfect. We're fallible. And that doesn't mean, like I said, that 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 means you always vote a straight Republican ticket. Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, There are honest conversations that we can have about politics within the realm of biblical Christianity. And there can be serious disagreements. And we can still, at the end of this day, say you are my brother and sister in Christ. And that's fine. There are some issues, however, that are simply not biblical. And I think social justice and all that comes along with it is simply not biblical. Again, doesn't necess- doesn't doesn't definitely doesn't negate salvation, but it does point to a misunderstanding of the Bible and of definitely of politics. So, share this podcast with your woke friends. Share this podcast to uh, your friends who maybe were previously conservative but now have a crush on Beto O'Rourke. Uh, these are the women who are vulnerable to believing these lies, and it's really scary. But I will be here. And we will be together. Now, maybe I didn't inspire you on this Monday. Maybe I did make you more riled up than you wanted to be. But I I mean, I hope you're informed and you are thinking about this as you're thinking about the candidates in the election in uh, that's coming up next year. That's coming up so fast because 
it's important. And it's important to see the role of the church is playing in it and the trend of progressivism within evangelicalism. It's really important. Pay attention to your pulpits. Pay attention to your pastors. Pay attention uh, to your Bible studies that you're reading. Pay attention to the Christian influencers. If you hear your Christian influencers that you're following talk more about diversity than you do hear them talk about abortion, you just might you just might need to ask some questions. You just might need to ask some questions. Might have fallen into Marxism. You never know. Okay. Love you guys. Uh, if you have any questions, as always, reach out to me. Feel free to leave me a review on iTunes. Helps me out a lot. And hope that you guys have a great Monday. I will see you here on Wednesday for some news. 